0: Learn all about investing in real estate in Lubbock, Texas, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to Lubbock. Plus syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Lubbock. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. All right. Well, welcome and good morning. This is James Orr, and this is a special class. So I uh, just got back from my vacation, tropical vacation, and I uh, had a voicemail message come in from someone who wanted to hire me to do some consulting on a value-add multifamily property that they have recently bought. And they'd ask a question about, uh, on the voicemail, Uh, when to do the upgrades for the value add, like kind of like the timing and thinking about how to do those. And I had never really done a kind of formal class of that nature before. So I decided to sit down and create a PowerPoint for uh, the coaching clients. And so this is part of the, a coaching program about when to do upgrades with a value-add rental property, and we will jump right into it. I'm doing this live for me, but uh, no one is on live, and so uh, this is basically a recording that you'll have access to in the control panel there. So kind of where are we in this process? Uh, the coaching is primarily about how to improve rental property cash flow now, um, and if you think about that, it's this kind of visual that we have of all the different stages for when you're acquiring a property. And this is in the stage for improving the property. And specifically, it's in the upgrade property section. So, if you're familiar with this kind of visual that we do, these are all the different strategies for improving rental property cash flow, either uh, cash flow or cash now uh, kind of stuff. And that's for when you're searching for properties, all the things you do when you're searching. These are all the different things you do in order to improve cash flow when you're financing the property. This is all the different things you do when you're thinking about which strategy to use in order to get the most cash flow for a property. And then this is the one that we're in today, which is in the improved property stage. Uh, And specifically, we're doing the one that's highlighted here, when you upgrade a property. And historically, I think I've talked about this more as a, you know, upgrade the mailbox, uh, you know, kind of fix the the lettering on the door, fix the landscaping, um, do some small improvements to the property. In order to kind of get higher rents on it. But this could be everything from the most minor thing like painting a mailbox to the most major thing, like completely upgrading a kitchen and you know, redoing the entire interior of a property or you know, doing a carpeting or doing new flooring or whatever you're doing. So there's a range of what upgrading the property is. And one of the questions is when do you do that? Do you do that as soon as you buy the property? And we're gonna talk about that, or do you do it, you know, when you have cash flow coming in from the property and you kind of fund it with cash flow from the property? Property. And then what is the the kind of like economic or mathematical calculations we do in order to determine, should we do this upgrade or not? And mathematically, how do we think about that? And so that's what I plan on covering in this particular one. Uh, just to kind of finish this out, there's a whole section on when you're marketing a property, there's a section when you already own property, section when you're renting the property, all things you do with property management and as you're renting it. And so those are the different stages. And today we're covering this one in the improved property and specifically upgraded property. Okay. So, specifically for this recording, I want to focus on when, I know if you're if you're not and, and when as opposed to what you should do, what improvements you should do, and how much each of those will change the rent. I think there's a lot of variation in that, and it's very market and property specific and so I'm not going to get into that in this class. Maybe I will do a class on that in the future. And if somebody really wants that, let me know. We could do that as part of the coaching call, one of the days, and we can kind of figure that out. But today, I'm going to focus in on when. So uh, first, I'll do kind of a carve out. Look, if you're if you're doing a burst strategy, if you're trying to do a buy, rehab, um, refinance, no, sorry, rent, then refinance, and then the last hour is repeat. Uh, if you're trying to do that kind of process, then obviously, you're going to do a lot of the improvements in the value add upfront as soon as you acquire the property, because you want to have all the value add done to improve the the property value so that you can do your refinance and pull out as much money as you can, leave as little money in the deal as possible is probably a better way of saying that uh, when you're doing these kind of burst strategies once, because you want to take advantage of that increase in value of the property. And likewise, if you're buying a property with the sole purpose of flipping it, you're going to buy a property, you're going to do a bunch of rehab to And especially if you're going to do a big multifamily where you do rehab, you get tenants in there, you raise the amount of rent you're getting, which raises the value of the property. And then you're going to go sell that property, you know, three months, six months, 12 months, a year or two down the road, then you're probably going to want to front load as much of these as possible. I think when the nuance comes in is when you plan on holding the property long-term. You're not going to do a burst strategy, which you're going to front load and do as much of the stuff as you can as quickly as possible. And you're not going to try to do a value add in order to sell a property quickly. So when when you're not doing those two strategies and you're going to kind of hold the property, I think there's a little bit more subtlety and math that goes into should you make an improvement to a property or not. It's not like you're going to always constantly maximize and improve the property because sometimes that does not make sense from an economics return kind of standpoint. So... Let me just make sure I read my notes here. So if your plan is to not take short-term advantage of the forced appreciation, which is really what you're doing when you're doing all these improvements on a property is you have natural or organic appreciation when a property tends to go up in value over time. You hold a property and inflation happens and things become more expensive. That's organic appreciation or kind of like natural appreciation. The property values tend to kind of creep up over time, but you can force appreciation too. You can go in there and actually add value to the property and get stuff done. So if you're not trying to take short short-term advantage of that forced depreciation. You're not trying to sell it and capture forced depreciation. And you're not trying to refinance the property to benefit from the forced depreciation, which may or may not be bur. Sometimes you kind of like improve a property and then you do a cash out or a long-term financing because the way you had to acquire the property was different, which I guess is a variation of bur. but I digress. So if you're not trying to take advantage of that short-term forced depreciation, then you may want to emphasize the returns from the return quadrants, and specifically, I think, more of the cash now side. Um, you know, you could go ahead and invest in something and get appreciation and maybe even some improved debt pay down, although it's much less likely. We'll go over that in a second here. But you can get this kind of improved appreciation. But honestly, you don't get that appreciation benefit until you either sell the property or you do some type of cash out refinance. And so the benefit from that is at some undefined point in the future, and it's uncertain. And so I think when you're thinking about whether or not you should do these improvements and when you should do these improvements, you really want to focus much more on the right-hand side of the quadrants, which I'll show you here in a second, and specifically the cash flow portion of that. Maybe a little bit on the cash flow from depreciation, but mostly that's like a benefit you get, a short-term benefit of taxes. It's almost like a rebate on the money you spend. So let's talk about this. So, for those of you who have not seen this before, you should definitely dig into this. These, this is my return quadrant and just shows you that the four different areas of returns plus the return you get from reserves when you own rental property. So appreciation, the tendency for property values to increase over time. Cash flow, that is your net cash flow after all expenses, your rents and any other incomes you have in a property, minus mortgage, taxes, insurance, PMI. Property management, maintenance on a property, capital expenses on a property, if you're kind of doing those in there as well, like all of the expenses so all the income minus all the expenses is your net cash flow. So that's what this cash flow one is about debt pay down is the amount of principal you're paying down on the loan, each period of time whatever you're measuring here usually it's a year, Um, and then the tax benefits are usually the tax benefits of depreciation. Um, when you own a property, the government allows you to say, look, the value of the building, not the land, but the value of the building has a finite lifespan. And we understand that as the government. And so as the taxing body of the government. And so we are going to allow you to depreciate the value of that building over time, because a building in theory goes down to zero. You, you, you utilize the, the limited lifespan of the building over in most cases, 27 and a half years for residential properties. That's per the tax code. So, those are the tax benefits you get. And a lot of times we look at that historically as the cash flow you get from those tax benefits. So, it's not just the raw amount that gets depreciated, it's the amount that gets depreciated times whatever your tax rate is, which means this is the amount of money you get back on your taxes or that you don't have to pay in on taxes from other income you're getting like rental property income or from your job in some cases. So those are the four different areas of return. And then we have reserves, which you get a return from that as well. So the total of it is written in the middle of all five of these. And that's kind of how we visualize that. So by improving a property or adding upgrades to property, we're often improving three quadrants in terms of dollars. So if you think about the return quadrant, we can measure it in several ways. We could say, how much in dollars did the property appreciate? How much in dollars are we getting on cash flow? You know, $2,000 a year, $2,400 a year, $5,000 a year, whatever you're getting in cash flow. How much in dollars are we paying down the loan? And how much in dollars are we getting in terms of cash flow from depreciation by owning this rental property? And then how much in dollars are we getting as a return on the reserves we need to set aside in order to prudently invest in this property? So if you think about it, you can have dollars. Return in dollars quadrants, uh, or you could have return on investment. So you could say, "Hey, look, this property went up, you know, five thousand dollars in this year, and I had to invest hundred thousand dollars in order to buy this property. So now it's a return you're getting, the five thousand dollars in return, divided by the amount you invested in order to acquire the deal, which is now a five thousand divided by hundred thousand dollars, and it gives you a, I think my math is right, a five percent return from appreciation. And you can look at that for all of these. You could say, I'm getting." You know, $5,000 a year in cash flow on a $100,000 investment. So my return from cash flow is 5%. And so all of those are return on investment. And we typically use that when you first acquire a property. So when you first invest the money in order to do the deal, because it doesn't make sense in my mind to say 10 years later, okay, now I'm getting $10,000 a year in cash flow on this particular rental property. And I had to invest $100,000 10 years ago to get that. The further you get away from when you first make that investment, the less the initial amount you invested in the deal matters. I think the longer you get away from it, the more you need to think about how much am I earning from appreciation and cash flow and debt pay down and tax benefits and reserves um, on how much equity I have in my property. So after you buy the property, shortly after you buy, we switch, in my mind, from thinking about it as in terms of return on investment, and we start thinking about it as- return on my equity in the property. And for more advanced people, if you've heard me talk about this before, it's not even technically in my mind, return on equity, it's return on the equity you'd walk away with if you sold the property after all of your expenses of sale, your real estate commissions, your closing costs, Any depreciation recapture tax and any capital gains taxes. All of those expenses need to be subtracted out of the equity you're getting. And so, really, when I think about it, like more advanced strategy is the returns you're getting divided by the return divided by your true net equity after all expenses. Okay, but now I've digressed. The reason why I wanted to tell you that is there's really three flavors primarily that we talk about for these return quadrants. One is return in dollars, the amount of money that the appreciation cash flow debt paid out of tax benefits went up, the return on investment when you first acquire property, the amount of money you're making on the property divided by how much you had to invest in order to do that. And then once we've owned a property for a while, it's now return on equity, or what your return is divided by how much equity you have in the property. So let's first look at dollars and see how this is impacted by doing this uh, forced depreciation, by doing upgrades to a property uh, or, or improvements to a property. So this is just the appreciation quadrant we're talking about now. As we improve the property, we often force the property to be worth more. I mean, think about this. You go into a property and you replace the carpets or you add a new roof or you add a new furnace or something like that. Don't you, in theory at least, improve the value of the property? Now, from an appraisal standpoint, it might be tricky. However, with multifamily properties, a lot of times if you're able to get more in rent, because of the way that they can calculate what a property is worth based on a cap rate, we can now say that because rent is more, now the property is worth more. This doesn't apply nearly as much to single-family homes, probably even duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes. As you, The more properties you get, the more units you get, the more this cap rate idea and valuing properties using cap rate can matter. So the more rents we get on a property, the more the property is worth. When you and, and to a lesser degree with things less than five units, but more commonly with five units or more. So with these kind of like single family homes, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, a lot of times improving a property is not going improving a property in order to increase rent is not going to necessarily directly improve the value of the property. Really what we use to determine value for properties on like single family homes, duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes are comparable sales. So you have to have another property that is a single family home uh, to another single family home if you're comparing it to a single family home or another duplex or two or three cell that is similar to your duplex so that you could use that to determine value or triplex is the same thing or fourplex is the same thing. So you have to use the like type properties. And there are some lots of exceptions for how you calculate this value, which we're not going to go into here. But that's the idea, okay? So as we improve the property, Oftentimes, we, we kind of increase the value and make it worth more. So, for example, if you are buying properties and and they are all really old 1970s vintage type properties and you're comparing them to those properties, those properties might be selling for a certain price. But if you completely rehab your property, upgrade the kitchen, upgrade the bathrooms, upgrade the flooring, upgrade all the windows, upgrade the roof, upgrade the furnace, the, the heating and air conditioning, HVAC, if you upgrade all that stuff. Now you should be comparing that property to similar properties of similar quality. And so you might get a increase in value by doing comparable sales approach. Usually for these multifamily properties, by improving the value of the property and getting more rent, you're able to get more value through the cap rate calculation determination for value. Okay. So the raw dollars, when we do this kind of upgrade, the raw dollars in appreciation goes up. Your property was going up, you know, $3,000, $5,000 a year, whatever it was kind of going up. Nice, slow and steady. I guess it's this way. Slow and steady to the right. Up. But now when you come in there and you add an investment of $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 to do improvements to your property, you might get a significant step up in appreciation for that year. And then from there, it tends to grow at whatever that rate is. So you spend $10,000. Now, maybe your property is worth $20,000 more as just a hypothetical example. Don't use those numbers as like a guide and say, for every 10K I invest, I'm going to get 20K out. You have to do the math. And that's what we're going to talk about here a little bit later. Okay. So if you're doing that, though, you put 10,000 in, you're going to get like an improvement of, you know, increase in value of $20,000. That's a step function increase in forced depreciation. So if we think about that, this extra twenty thousand dollars return in dollars goes here. So now we saw a bump up in the amount we saw in appreciation. Now let's look at cash flow. So a lot of times by improving the property, we can often increase the income we get on the property, and as a side note, and often additionally reduce the vacancy because a nicer property. In not this is not a universal rule, but I think it's a trend. Uh, it's, it's kind of like, it's correlated, highly correlated. So oftentimes when we improve a property, we make it much nicer. We often reduce the vacancy, it becomes more desirable. People want to stay there longer. Uh, people want to get in there quicker after you've got people move out. So you have less vacancy there. So like your vacancy tends to be improved, reduced. Also, depending on what upgrades you do, you may see a decrease in maintenance on the property. So not only can you get more in rent, but you have less vacancy, And because you put in tile flooring instead of this really old ratty carpet that needs to replace every couple of years anyway, now you have a upgraded tile floor, which tends to last a little longer. So your overall maintenance budget may go down slightly. And your property management, those calls for maintenance, those calls for improvements, the calls, the kind of tenant turnover and the tenant problems you have can also be slightly reduced, not significantly, but a lot of times slightly reduced Uh, when you have this improvement to the property that make, depending on the improvement, of course, right? Now, as a side note, sometimes the improvement or upgrades you're making involves a short vacancy right? A, a lot of times investors that own a property already, they're going to wait for their property, the current tenant to vacate the property. Then they're going to go in there and they're going to do the rehab that they need to do in order to do the upgrade improvements. Then they're going to start over with a new tenant at a higher rent. Most of the time, they're not going to go in while a current tenant is in place and improve on the property, right? We're not going to go ahead and voluntarily evict a tenant who is already paying and, and paying on time to, to go in there and improve a property and get someone else in there. Sometimes we might, if we're trying to sell a property very quickly, but most of the time we're going to do this from cash flow. We're going to have the natural turnover of tenants dictate the pace at which we do the upgrades, both the natural turnover of tenants and also the amount of cash flow we have available to do this. Because if you don't have extra cash sitting on the sideline that you can invest to do this, you really have to fund it internally from the cash flow on the rental property. Okay. So sometimes, though, when you get the tenant to vacate, you now have a month, two months, three months depending on how good you are at getting rehabs done, how quickly, in order to get this property rehabbed and then back on the rental market. So sometimes we have a short vacancy, which might result in temporary cash flow dip while you're doing the improvements and finding a new tenant at the higher rents. So some period of time, there's that. Okay, in addition, this increase in income, especially for multifamily properties, which we talked about, is the primary driver for increased property value. So when we're talking about these five units and up, especially, By getting more in rent, by improving the cash flow, the net operating income on the property, we are able to increase our cap rate on the property, which means that in order to have a, um, if we were going to sell the property and we're getting a certain amount of rent and the cap rates for similar properties like this are selling for whatever they are, that means that we get a higher price to get about the same cap rate, if you think about it that way. So for properties deriving value from income using calculations like cap rate is what I had as a comment there. Okay, in some cases, improving the property will also result in taxes and insurance bumping up a little bit, which will push back slightly against improved cash flow. So to to kind of give you an entire view of this whole thing, yes, by improving the property, we often get a bump in rent or other income on the property, depending on what we're doing. And additionally, as a benefit, we sometimes get reduced vacancy. Sometimes get reduced maintenance and sometimes get reduced need for property management, less calls for maintenance, less calls for you know issues going on with the property. So those are the kind of bonuses. But when you do improve your property, sometimes the tax man comes and reassesses your property and says, now that your property is improved, it's worth more. Your property taxes will go up a little bit, and that can push back a little bit against the gains you had in those other areas we talked about, the rent, the vacancy, the maintenance, the property management. Okay. So sometimes taxes will go up. And Because it will now cost more to repair things on your property, sometimes your insurance will go up a little bit more too, right? You no longer are, you know, got a really low-end property that doesn't cost that much in order to kind of keep upgraded. Um, And now your property is much nicer and more improved, and so your property insurance may go up. These are relatively minor, unless you do major, major rehabs, but these are usually relatively minor pushbacks against that improved cash flow. But in order to give you an entire picture of what's going on, I did want to talk about that slightly. Okay, I, this is a really small note you know, this is me getting crazy with the minutia. Sometimes, by having these increased taxes and insurance, that means your expenses on the property kind of bump up a little bit which does mean that the amount of money you need to keep in reserves kind of increase. If you say to yourself, hey, look, I want six months of reserves on a property uh, of all my expenses on a property that I'm doing. Well, if your taxes and your insurance go up a little bit, then obviously you need to have a little bit more insurance. But we're talking about really, really small numbers. And so the return you're getting on reserves can also be affected as, as that as well, which means that your overall return is probably gonna be impacted as well. Okay, we talked about that. All right, so we have talked about appreciation. We talked about cash flow. Now let's talk about the tax benefits. So some of the improvements you make, you may be able to write off the entire amount in the year that you make them and talk to your tax advisor about like where the threshold for this is usually a safe harbor or safe harbor provision, which says anything under a certain dollar amount, you can just write off in the first year, but talk to your tax advisor to get the most up to date ones. Um, others will require you to spread it out over several years. So some of these things are going to be considered improvements that have a certain lifespan. So you're you're going to do something that costs more than the safe harbor threshold, and you're going to have to write off the expense that you had over five years or seven years. I don't even know the tax code. I'm not a tax expert. But they write it over, over a certain period of time, so you can't just write it all off in the same year. So you will get some improved tax benefits, either an immediate one or once for the next you know, whatever number of years, five years or so. So this can improve your tax benefits from depreciation in the short-term to mid-term kind of like range of time. But realize you're really just getting some of the money you spent back in taxes. It's not like you are um, making money on this, right? It's not like a, a, a amplified return. You're spending money and you're getting some money back on taxes. So it's sort of like a rebate on what you spend. Uh, a kind of refund of some ways of the improvements that you made. So I would heavily, in my mind, I would heavily discount the importance of this return as you think about the whole thing, right? So that's just kind of my comment there. All right, so now we talked about this. So instead of just looking at you know, the dollar amounts we made, how much uh, appreciation we saw by doing the improvement, how much extra cash flow we saw by doing the improvement, and how much extra tax benefits we saw, really, instead of looking at the dollar's amount, what we really want to look at is how much they improved by how much we needed to invest in order to get that return. So like a return on investment quadrant, if you want to think of it that way, when you choose to invest more money to improve the dollars in return, you invest money in order to get a higher rent on a property, for example, it may help or hurt you with the rate of return you're getting on that investment, depending on how much you needed to spend to do that. Let me give you an example to explain to you what I mean. Okay. So a baseline cash on cash return on investment calculation. This is just a really simple example to show you what I'm talking about here. So you're making $1,000 per year in cash flow on a $20,000 investment that you made in order to acquire this property. Okay. That's a 5% cash on cash return on investment. $1,000 divided by $20,000 gives you a 5% cash on cash return on investment. Nothing tricky here. All it's really s- simple, straightforward stuff. But what happens if you choose to add an additional $5,000 to optionally improve the property? So you spend $5,000 to make some type of improvement or upgrade to the property. How does that play out with the return you were already getting? Okay. So if by doing the $5,000 in improvements, you can get an extra $500 per year in cash flow. So for example, I actually have a typo here. I'm going to correct it so that I can just do it. Okay, so if by doing the um, five thousand dollar investment improvements, upgrades, whatever you're going to do, you can get an extra five hundred dollars per year in cash flow. You know, about forty dollars extra per month is what you think you can get for that. A little bit more than that. Um, what does that mean? Well, it means that by investing this five hundred dollars, and you divide that by the five thousand you had to do it, you're you get a a boost to your cash flow just on this this return, this additional investment you made of ten percent. So now you have a ten percent cash on cash, return on investment on the improvement only. We're not talking about the other part of the return that you were already getting. This is saying, look, does it make sense for me to invest this $5,000? If I invest this $5,000, I'm going to get an extra $500 a year. That looks an overly simplified, probably wrong math, but I'll get to there in a second. You're really thinking, I invest 5,000, I get $500 a year back. So that really is like a 10% cash on cash, return on investment, oversimplified. Okay, so since this is higher than the return you were getting before you decided to do the upgrade, that 5% cash on cash return, then by doing this, you will overall improve your return. So now we had the $1,000 a year we were getting before, plus the $500 that we got by doing the improvement. So now we're getting $1,500 a year in cash flow. And now we need to divide that by the $20,000 we needed to invest originally in order to buy the property plus the $5,000 that we just added to do the improvement. So now it's over $25,000 total. So now it's 1,500 divided by that 25,000. That is now a 6% cash-on-cash return on investment overall, including the improved cash flow and the additional investment. So what we basically did is we went from getting a 5% return by adding more money and doing improvement and getting more rent for that, we've actually boosted the return. It doesn't always work that way, though. Okay. And so here's an example where it actually hurts you to do the extra investment. So imagine you did the same $5,000 improvements, but instead of getting $500 per year in extra cash flow, you only get $200 per year. So that $200 in extra cash flow divided by that $5,000 that you invested is really a 4% cash on cash return on the improvement only. Okay. Before, when we were getting $500, that was a 10% cash-on-cash cash return. Now we're only getting $200, so that's only a 4% cash-on-cash cash return investment on the improvement only. So now when we add that and the additional investment to the previous returns we were getting on the rental property, the $1,000 we are getting per year, plus now $200 for $1,200 total after the upgrades, divided by $20,000, which was the initial investment we made, plus the $5,000 in upgrades. Now we've got $1,200 divided by $25,000, which is 4.8. That return is now lower than the return we were getting previously. So you think about this. You were getting, you said, look, I'm going to invest $5,000 and I'm going to get this you know, additional $200 a year in cash flow. That's not good enough to actually improve what you were already getting. You're getting a lower overall return. You're getting more cash flow. You're getting $1,200 a year when before you were only getting 1000 But this is really like you're hurting your overall return when you look at it this way. And that's just what I want to point out is, so there are, there are times when it does improve your position and there are times when it makes it worse. And that's what you should realize. So with that being said, this was just looking at that one cash flow part of the return, the cash on cash return on investment. Assuming you did these improvements as part of the purchase. Because remember, we we're doing this like really early on. So I'm using that return on investment thing. If you're making the improvements later, if you're doing this a year or two or three or four or five down the road after owning it for a while, I think you should be thinking in terms of return on equity, not anymore on your return on the initial investment. So instead of that $20,000 to acquire the property, now this becomes your kind of like return on the equity you have in the property as a return overall. And And by doing these improvements, because a lot of times doing the improvement actually increases the value of the property, it increases that appreciation like a step function, that means that your equity has increased. So this could hurt your return even more, if you think about that. Okay. So don't get too caught up on this. I just want you to understand this is not a super simple straightforward calculation that we do and 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 this is why I think not a lot of people tackle this right it's like it's 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 highly nuanced if you really step back and think about it and think about like well really what do I want to improve do i want to improve my return on initial investment no because i don't think that matters anymore i really want to think about what my return is on the equity i have in my property and probably specifically return on true net equity but then you have to think about how this impacts your overall equity if you're going to do that okay so let's go through an example of like how to make this decision. So if you need to make improvements for property, i will going to step back for a second. If you need to make improvements, you know, health and safety reasons, or they make the property ready, rent ready for the next tenant, just to do the bare minimum to get it to the point where it's like ready to go. It's getting back to the normal state it was in. You can do that. I mean, however, uh, you could do that like Like no matter what, don't like think about a calculation for that, right? If it's health and safety or you're doing rent ready, you got to spend the money in order to get your property ready for the tenants or to put, uh, make sure that the tenants are safe in your properties, okay? However, if you're doing optional improvements, you're thinking about upgrading a kitchen or, you know, replacing flooring with something higher end or something like that. In general, and to simplify, I'd like to improve the property when, here's some criteria, Number one, this will improve the value of the property. So there are probably exceptions to this, but in general, what I like to think about is, will this make the property more valuable overall? And if it will, then I tend to say, okay, that is one criteria I'd like to see happening. There are probably some exceptions, like if the return you're getting in this next step here, if the return you're getting is so good, but it just sort of holds the property at its current value, I may still be willing to do that. But ideally it's when they will improve the property, uh, improve the value of the property. Additionally, I can get a good return on the money I'm investing. And as soon as I said that, you're like, well, James, what's a good return? I'm so glad you asked, okay? So what is a good return? The good return is, think about where you can invest money now and what return you can get with similar risk characteristics. So if you say, you know, I could take this money and go buy, as put another down payment down and acquire another rental property. And this has similar risk characteristics to what I'm already doing. Then you can make an argument that if the return you're getting by buying the new rental property and putting down payment is better than the return you can get by paying for this improvement, then maybe you should go do the new rental because that's a better return. Or if this is similar to that, And maybe you don't have enough for a full down payment, but you have $20,000 and the $20,000 can get you a similar return you want to do. So you have to look at these things and decide, is this a good return for the money I have? Uh, Another thing, which I didn't have on here, which I probably should have, but just made this presentation. um, I think it matters what you're trying to accomplish. You know, in some of our other modules, we've talked about this idea of You know, what is your financial independent school? What does it look like when you're financially independent and how do you get there? Are you buying properties to rehab, fix up, resell, take the money and then use that to pay off other properties? Are you taking the money and you're using that for down payments to acquire enough other rental properties where you have more than you need that you could sell off some and pay off the others? Are you doing this so you have a bunch of rental properties you're just going to pay them off free and clear? You're going to do this where you have enough rental properties where the cash flow you're getting is going to be enough to support you even without paying them off? Like, what is your strategy to get there? And does this actually lead into your strategy? Because it might be better for you to buy more rental properties if that's part of your overall plan to get you to financial independence. And this may not make sense for you to do the improvements on the property. Or if you're trying to get there with cash flow on the properties you have, this may make a lot of sense to do. Okay. So, enough of my diversion there with kind of getting off topic, but let's get back to this. So, for the thinking process, after we've determined, you know, like what's a return, let's talk about what the returns are here. So, for the thinking process, it might be I could spend $10,000. This is hypothetical. I could spend $10,000 and I can get $2,500 per year in improved cash flow on the investment. So, by doing 10K in improvements, I can get an extra $200 per month in cash flow on the property. Possible. I mean, may not be something you can get everywhere, but this is a you know an example of what might be a good return for you. Okay, so ten thousand dollars, twenty five hundred dollars per year in improved cash on the property. So here's the simple math, which I would argue is probably not correct, but it's a good starting point for you to start about it. Okay, so simple math. I'm getting a twenty five percent cash on cash return on that initial investment I made. So I'm getting twenty five hundred dollars per year on ten thousand dollars invested. That's twenty five percent cash on cash return in the first year that I'm buying, uh, that I made this additional improvement on the property. And if the in order to make the simplified math sort of work, you have to think about, okay, I'm going to get this $10,000 investment back, plus maybe a return on that, when I ultimately sell the property or refinance later. I think a lot of folks ignore that part. They ignore the part where they're thinking about getting the $10,000 investment back They think I'm getting a return on this money, but realize that money is gone unless you're getting it back when you sell or you refinance out later. And and the only way you do that is if it improved the value of the property. So you need to make sure that it improved the value if you're going to use this simple math as a general rule of thumb. Okay. The more complicated math and the more correct math, I would probably say, is I'm going to get my initial investment back over four years. So you put $10,000 in, you're getting $2,500 a year. You get your initial investment back over a four-year period. And then these improvements should last another four years. And I'll get an additional return of $2,500 per year for those four years too. Because realize a lot of times when you spend money to make an improvement, it has a limited lifespan. Uh, Example with flooring. You go ahead and you spend $10,000 to upgrade the flooring to luxury vinyl tile or whatever you're doing, a luxury vinyl plank in the entire house. That doesn't last forever, right? That may last for five, 10 years, something like that. You know, I used eight in this example, but it's really whatever the lifespan of what you're buying is. You know, if you're doing carpet, you know, carpet may only last, I don't know, depending on how bad your tenants are with carpet, you know, two, three, four, five years, uh, you know, a few tenant cycles. If you're really lucky, your private tenants to take care of stuff, maybe 10 years, I mean, so this carpet has a very limited lifespan. So the amount of money you invest, you not only need to get your money back, you need to get a a decent return on that money when you're doing that. So the more complicated version of the math is, put my $10,000 down. That year I get $2,500 back. So I'm out net 7,500. Then the next year I get $2,500 more back. Then the next year I get $2,500 more back. Next year I get $2,500 more back. And at that point I paid my initial investment back. And now I'm getting $2,500 a year for the next, whatever it is that 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 particular upgrade lasted for. And that you're getting that extra money from, you know, another four more years at 2,500, which then you get another $10,000 on that initial investment. So, How do you do that calculation? Well, I'm going to show you on the next slide. It's called an internal rate of return calculation or an IRR calculation. And you just use Excel to do it. And I'll include a copy of the Excel spreadsheet um, so you can go download it and and modify it. But I'll show you how to do it. So basically you look at what the return is by putting money in and getting some money out over that whatever time period is that you're going to hold that. And then that is the return you look at to determine whether that is a good return for you or you can get better elsewhere. So that's how you can look at it. So, some investors, by the way, and I'm done with this example of like when to approve, those are the general rules I have. Some investors prefer to have the property self fund the improvements. In other words, pay for it out of cash flow. So, the existing cash flow on the property needs to accumulate so that you get the $10,000 you need in order to do the improvements. You don't do the improvement until the property generates $10,000. Then, at that point, at the next tenant turnover, when the next tenant voluntarily moves out. Then you go in there, you take all the extra cash you have, you improve that particular unit, and you and you slowly move up over time through the natural organic tenant turnovers that you have and the cash flow you're getting from your rental properties. And then you kind of up your, up your rental properties and the rent you're getting on each one as you go. Okay. So a lot of investors will look at it that way. Some investors have extra cash outside of it, and they're willing to go and use that money in order to fund the deal in order to do that. But I think less are willing to do that. I think more of them are willing to fund it internally from the property and fewer are willing to do that up front. Unless you're doing like Burr or you're trying to do a property where you're selling, I think a lot of investors will add money in order to do those up front. And I have an important note on here, but I think I covered it. and that is You need to get the amount invested back and get a return on that money. It's not just the return. It's not just I put in $10,000 and I get $2,500 a year. You need to think about, okay, I get $2,500 back, but when am I getting the $10,000 I invested back? And, and, and the exception to this is unless you're getting that back on sale. You know, you're know, you thinking about, okay, I'm getting this extra rent, but I'm going to get this $10,000 back when I sell it or when I cash out refinance later on. And so you have to think about that way. But be careful with that thinking, right? Because a lot of times you're not going to get that back because you, know, you had to go and do the upgrade again four years, 10 years later, when the flooring wears out and you got to do another upgrade or the HVAC wears out or the roof wears out or whatever you're doing. So you're not always getting that back. And so you really want to think about a better way to do this is that internal rate of return. Speaking of which, let's talk about that. So here's the really, to the right is this really simple version of spreadsheet. All it shows you is all the different years and the amount that you invested and the return you got in that year. And if you need more years, just go ahead and add additional ones. Make sure you change the formula so that it calculates it right. So it's using all of the different years to do it. But you'll want to go ahead and add however many years that particular investment added. And in some cases, it's more complicated than this, right? Like you invest 10000 now and you know, $4,000 three years from now and you got $2500 back in the first year or maybe less in the first year because you had some vacancy time so maybe you get 2000 back in year 1 and then next year you get 2500 next year you're going to get 2600 next year you get 27 you can change all these numbers and it will do the right calculation for you that's what internal rate of return does internal rate of return is if you think about it this way it allows you to to calculate the return when you have irregular money in and irregular money out so it takes into account that you put in money in year one, but you might have to put in more money in year four or year five or year six or all of those. And you get certain amounts of money out in year one, two, three, and they could be different in each of the years. And then how do you look at all of those inputs and outputs, money in, money out, and figure out what your overall return is on that whole thing? That's what this is about. So you spend the $10,000. What I've modeled here is I spend 10000 I got $2,500 a year for eight years. So my net investments in year one was 7,500. In fact, let me me correct this because this is bothering me a little bit. There we go. Oops. Okay, now it's a little bit clearer. So you basically have $10,000 invested, $2,500 you got back in that first year. So you had a net of 7,500 out in the year one. And then you have $2,500 net out in years two through eight because you didn't have any additional investment any of these other years. And that gives you an internal rate of return of 27.12%. So according to Excel, just plug these numbers in Excel, it'll pop out the number for you and it's telling you you're getting a 27%. Return on that initial $10,000 investment if you actually did this investment and you got money in this kind of timing. So that becomes the question is 27.12% a good return for you? Could you invest $10,000 somewhere else and earn 27.12% per year internal rate of return with similar risk characteristics? Okay. So that's the way to think about it. All right. So in conclusion, this last slide, in conclusion, when do you do upgrades on a value-add rental property? If you're trying to do bur, the buy, rehab, rent, refi, and optionally repeat, you probably want to do them right away. There's not really much of a question there. If you're looking to sell the property, probably want to do them either as soon as possible or just long enough in advance of the sale to document improvement rent to justify a higher sale price. So sometimes it takes time from once you do the thing to show I've got this record of rents and then you got to document it and, you know, there's some negotiation there, but you want to be able to document it. So you need to figure that out with your real estate agent. Or if you're looking to keep the property in general at a reasonable pace between tenant turnovers. So as tenants turn over in your property, you would consider what improvements to make there and what your return you would earn by doing those improvements and whether that is worthwhile doing. Some investors will want to have the property self-fund, self-fund these improvements from cash flow between tenant turnover. So you accumulate enough cash from the property that it's generating that you take some of the money and you do this. Now realize if you're doing it as we suggest, You're putting aside money for maintenance on a property already. Now, this isn't always maintenance. You want to be careful you're not spending, you know, maintenance for a roof on an upgrade of improving a kitchen, right? You want to make sure you have enough money set aside for maintenance on things that you're doing on a property. But a lot times, we have money set aside for some of these things or to help with some of the costs. Uh, some investors want to have the property self-fund improvements from cash flow between tenant turnovers. I already said that. Some investors will look at adding additional capital to make improvements by doing a return calculation on the additional capital invested and the improved return. So kind of we talked about before, you're going to put the money in. What return are you getting on that money? And is that going to help your overall return? And is that a good return compared to where you could put that money elsewhere? I think those are the considerations you have. Okay. If you have any questions on this, you know, join one of the coaching sessions and we'll go ahead and. Um, Get your questions answered for coaching clients. This has been James Orr. Thank you very much. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up, mortgage interest rates up, and rents up but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates, cash flow on rental properties in Lubbock is harder than ever. Book a call with the Real Estate Financial Planner to apply our proprietary ADH strategies to improve cash flow on your rentals. See the show notes for a link to schedule your call and improve your cash flow today.